0: public speaking opportunities are all around us. Being in front of your boss and explaining an idea you have, that is a public speaking opportunity. There's so many different ways we use public speaking in our everyday life that we are actually always practicing it.
1: Let's go! Hello and welcome to the Branded New You Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you build your personal brand. We meet here each week to learn how building your brand can help you grow your influence, amplify your online reputation, and ultimately impact your career. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest will help you go from secret to sought-after speaker by helping you discover your unfair speaking advantage. Dr. Michelle Mazur is the founder and CEO of Communication Rebel, At Communication Rebel, Michelle is on a mission to shake up presentations in order to keep you from getting lost in the sea of sameness. Armed with her PhD in communication with a specialization in persuasion, Michelle has logged over 10,000 hours of speaking to groups from as few as 10 to over 1,000 attendees. Michelle is also a certified fascination advisor, which means that she knows how the world sees you at your best and how you can use your strengths in your next presentation in order to make an audacious breakthrough. So today, it is my absolute pleasure to speak with my fellow Maverick leader and the Rebel speaker herself, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Michelle, welcome to the Brand New You Show.
0: Well. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited to have you here, too. And I need to say before we start, a special thanks to Shane Purnell from the Platform Giant Podcast for introducing the two of us.
0: Yes, Shane's awesome. I adore him.
1: Yeah, Shane had you on his podcast and I recently met Shane in real life, actually, not over Twitter or anything like Ooh. that. Like I usually meet people. <laughs> <laughs> so as Shane and I were talking, you came up in, in our discussions, and uh I'm I'm glad we were able to connect to do this today.
0: Me too, me too.
1: So another thing I need to do before we get started is I have one question that I always ask all of my guests. Okay. Before we get going here, which is if you could vacate in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go?
0: London. London, by far. Like I lived in London for six months when I was still a professor and it is hands down the best city in the world.
1: Okay. London is a place that is definitely on my bucket list. Uh, My wife has been dying to go to London for a really, really long time. But I don't think cruises go there, do they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you would have to like just make the trek there. And But it's, an, <laughs> a, it's a fantastic place because you can have so many different experiences. I mean, I lived in London and like, oh my gosh, I think I've probably been to London about eight or nine times outside of when I lived there. And every time I go, I have a completely different experience. So okay. I love that city. And if I can only vacation one place, I would totally vacation in London.
1: Okay, London it is. So while while you're in London, mm-hmm. which would you rather watch? A soccer match Or the movie Say Anything?
0: Oh, man, that's kind of a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Like, I love the movie Say Anything and John Cusack and Peter Gabriel in your eyes. Mm -hmm. But there's something about being at a soccer match that's kind of cool. So I'd, I'd go for the experience of being at the football match, I think.
1: Today, we're going to talk a lot about your book. Okay. And what I want to make a note of is when you and Shane did your podcast, did the podcast together on Shane's show, The Platform Giant, you and Shane spent a lot of time kind of talking about your background and how you came to be where you're at today. So I think for those listening, if they were to take Shane's podcast and listen to that first, and then they listen to this podcast second, you put the two together and they're going to have the complete recipe for how they can become a better speaker.
0: I would agree completely.
1: So. With that in mind, what I'd like to know is, were you always a communication rebel?
0: No. It's an interesting story because when I originally started out, I started a blog and the blog was called Relationally Speaking because there is a communication theory that every time we speak, we're giving two messages. We're giving the message of content And we're giving a relational message. So when I'm speaking to you, you know, yes, you can grok what I'm saying, but I'm also communicating about my relationship with you. So I loved the ideas of relationship and how to build relationships in communication and or with public speaking. And part of me was like that name never fit. It didn't like, I wasn't like, yeah, I'm so excited about this name. But, you know, you want to launch a blog, so you just do that. Like, I'm like, okay, this is the name of the blog, and we'll figure it out from there. And as I started to evolve and find my voice as a blogger, as a writer, I realized that I had quite contrary opinions to a lot of popular public speaking advice. And then when I took Sally Hogshead's Fascination Advantage Assessment I found out that I was a maverick leader, which I had a hard time with because maverick leader means I'm primary innovation and secondary power. Now, the power part, I was like, yeah, I tend to be bossy and authoritative and confident when I speak. Totally get that. But I always struggled with the creativity part. I was like, people see me as creative. And I remember I was working in market research while I was starting my blog And I was doing this type of statistical analysis that's all about looking for patterns and putting data together in ways to come up with different solutions. And I told my boss, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love doing this. It's so much fun. And he said to me, he's like, well, of course you do. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're the most creative person who works here. And I'm like, oh, wow, that fascination stuff. I better take a second look at
2: it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it was hard for me to see myself as that uh, creative person, even though everybody else told me that I had amazing ideas and I looked at things very differently. So when I started realizing that and that I had all these contrary opinions, I evolved into being the communication rebel because I'm like, because if you read my blog, you're not going to get like the standard public speaking tips that you can get anywhere, like on Fast Company or Inc. or Huffington Post or wherever. But instead, I like to take what I know about public speaking and go deeper with people so that they get better results. Because I personally don't think tips are going to help you become a better
1: speaker. It's funny you say that about you struggled a little bit with the the Maverick Leader title because I did too when I got it, but for the opposite reason. I struggled more with the power portion of it than I did with the innovative part because I could definitely see myself in all the different roles that I've had as creative or innovative. And I'd been told that many, many times. In fact, there's a lot of situations where people would bring me into it because they needed new ideas. So... I got that piece. I struggled with the power part of it.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, embracing that. But, you know, just talking to you, I can hear that leadership and authority and confidence in your voice. And that's really what power is all about. So, totally the world sees you as that. But I think sometimes it's harder to wrap our arms around either our primary or secondary advantage there's always something that's like that doesn't feel quite right Right. but then you start exploring it with other people and you're like oh yeah I'm starting to see that now
1: Another thing that doesn't feel quite right to many, many people is public speaking. You wrote Mm -hmm. a book called Speak Up for Your Business, Presentation Secrets for Entrepreneurs Ready to Tell, Sell, and Compel. You've broken the book into four different parts. The part one is a mindset. Mm-hmm. Part two is looking at your transformational talk. Part three is about storytelling, and the last one is about delivering the presentation. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to go through each one of the parts of your book, which, by the way, is it's very well written. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I had a hard time actually putting it down. But when we get into mindset and really public speaking, and it, it is a mindset. So mm-hmm. I want to get your opinion on this, as we both know. Everybody looks at public – I mean, it's even been voted like the thing that people fear the most, including it's like death is like second. Yeah. But let's set the stage for people listening because most people when they think of public speaking, they're immediately thinking, well, you're on a stage – you got lights shining on you and there's audience of thousands in front of you. Mm-hmm. But isn't public speaking also when you're sitting in a conference room with your boss or your boss's boss and you're given a PowerPoint presentation on the numbers or the facts within your business? Or if you're in front of your colleagues and you're teaching them or training them on something that's new and innovative, or maybe, you know, you're rolling out a new process. Those are all also forms of public speaking, correct?
0: Absolutely. And I think that's the thing people get hung up on is that they think, all right, I'm going to write a talk and I have to give it on a stage. But really, public speaking is something we're always doing. This podcast interview is a public speaking opportunity. Doing a webinar is a public speaking opportunity. Being in front of your boss and explaining an idea you have, that is a public speaking opportunity. So I mean, public speaking opportunities are all around us. I think what we get less confident at is when we are on that stage. Like That, I think, intimidates people more than Oh, I'm doing this podcast interview. Like, I didn't get nervous before this podcast interview. You didn't? But no, I didn't. <laughs> I did. did I you? went for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> That was very smart of you to do. It's a great way to handle your nerves. But, you know, because I enjoy connecting like this. So, yeah. So there's so many different ways we use public speaking in our everyday life that we are actually always practicing it.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that people need to keep in mind is that – they do public speaking every day, like you just said. And all you're doing in a different is in a different setting is you're just maybe talking to more people. That's all. Mm -hmm. And I know something that helped me too, is somebody told me one time, don't look at it as speaking, look at it as you're training people. Ah. And that really kind of helps me to, you know, step back and say, okay, I'm not speaking to anyone. I'm helping people understand the message that I'm trying to convey in a training format. Do you think that's a, also a good way for people to work at it look at it? I know it, I know it works for me. I just don't know yeah. in your experience if that works for others too.
0: Well, and I also look at it like you're connecting with people. Like you have information that they want and need. It solves some type of problem in their life, and you are just connecting with them. And you know, you can screw up and they'll forgive you. <laughs> like there's there's no I need to be perfect on the stage because you will screw up. We all do it. Even the best speakers still make mistakes on stage. But the audience If you have great content, the audience needs that from you. So I think, you know, thinking about it as training is a good way also, but then it makes me kind of be like, but training and speaking are very different animals. (laughs) Because I know that as well, because I, you know, I'll help people like build workshops or, you know, training events or whatever. And it is a very different type of animal. But I think the way that you want to connect with people within training and speaking is the same.
1: Okay, so... In your book, you talk about uh, six different ways to help people kind of cope with nerves and whether they look at it as training or speaking, it's still speaking. And let's say that mm-hmm. we know they're going to be nervous before they get started speaking. Which of the six do you find the most effective for the majority of people that you talk to or coach? I
0: would say number one is exercise exercise. By far, it's...
1: Go for a walk.
0: Yeah, go for a walk. (laughs) Go for a run. Get your blood pumping. And, you know, even like the next time you are at the gym and you're on the elliptical trainer, think about something that makes you nervous. Maybe you have to have a difficult conversation or you have a presentation coming up or you have to ask for the sale, whatever that is, and think about it while you're on the elliptical trainer. And what you will find out is that you're not actually nervous about it when you're in movement because you know scientifically <laughs> when we're nervous adrenaline floods our body and so our body wants to get rid of that extra gen- adrenaline so we have all of those nasty side effects of you know sweating or shaking or voice trembling but if you exercise your body burns off adrenaline And if you exercise before a big presentation or a difficult conversation, I think one of the best things that happens is that you burn off that adrenaline and those effects can last up to eight hours. So if you exercise in the morning and your presentation's not till noon, you're still going to cut the edge off the nerves. So that's one of my my favorite tips. And then I'll give you a tip that's not in the book (laughs) that I've been using a lot. And this comes from Amy Cuddy. Because Amy Cuddy has done this brilliant TED talk about how we use our bodies, and she talks about the power pose. You know, it's kind of like standing like Wonder Woman or Superman. And what happens when you stand in that position is you release testosterone in your body, which makes you feel more powerful and in control. And that's what we want to feel when we get on stage is powerful and in control. So it's a great way to boost your confidence like right before you step on the stage.
1: In your case, how does Moxie Molly help you keep your confidence up when you're on stage?
0: (laughs) Yes, she's my little like inner superhero woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, you have your negative nollies that tell you um, really crappy things about yourself. Right. But then you have the person, like, so I have a new negative Nelly. I call her unsupportive Hermione. <laughs> she likes to run a lot of, you know, like Hermione and yep, Harry yep, Potter, yep. like, knows everything, but she supports them. Imagine if you had a know-it-all living in your head. Yeah. <laughs> Who then just kind of tears everything you want to do down. So that's my like negative Nelly, but Moxie Molly just, you know, gives me gives me the pep talk and the confidence to step on stage. It's almost like she's the ultimate version of myself. And she sees that potential in me and helps me.
1: How does she help you combat the inner (laughs) F-bombs?
0: She tells me not to listen to them. But I think with the inner, so the inner F-bombs are all of our flaws, foibles and failures, like things that have happened to us in the past that we can then bring on stage. And so I think Moxie Molly helps me, you know, really question those. So just to go tell you a little bit of a story, when I was... Uh, and this isn't in the book either. But when I was on the speech and debate team in college, um, one of our traditions was after a tournament, we'd all pile back into the team van and we would get our judges ballots back to show like how we did during the weekend. And I was sitting in the van next to my debate partner, reading some of our ballots, and he was reading some of our ballots. And all of a sudden, he crumples up this ballot and pushes it to the side. And I was like, hey, Brian, what's up with that? He's like, he's like, there's nothing you need to read on this ballot. He's like, it's crap. Don't pay attention to it. I'm like, no, I, I want to read it. He's like, nope, nothing you need. So I wrestled the ballot away from him, much to his chagrin. And I smoothed it out and I started reading it. And it said, brilliant things about my debate partner, how he made great arguments and he was so confident and powerful. And then next to my name, it had a word that started with a B and rhymes with witch. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I realized like that was something that I carried with me because I didn't see myself that way. Like, in in my head, I was, like, making these arguments and supporting my debate partner. And, you know, you're supposed to tear down the other person's side of things. So how could I possibly be this B word? And, you know, having to remind myself of that, like, I mean, for a while, it caused me to tamp down, like, how I was showing up in the world. And I wasn't speaking my mind. And so little Moxie Molly, she reminds me that it is okay for me to have an opinion and it is okay for other people to think that I am too much. And my power and confidence isn't a flaw, but it is something that I can embrace And use. So, I think for me that that's something that I always have to be reminded of because you know that was 22 years ago when that happened, and it still kind of rings in my mind.
1: I'm glad you said that. You brought that up because there is a quote in your book that I absolutely love, and when I read it, I was like. Wow, you know, just just a sentence that makes that made me stop and go, "Huh, that's exactly what this book is about." and And the quote is, "Stop viewing what makes you unique as a flaw." Mm. and And I think so many times we look at it's so easy for us, frankly, to look at our flaws and see them as flaws instead of looking at them as something unique that makes us different than everybody else. And as you know, different is better than better. Yes, and <laughs> and I just I, I love that quote. And stop viewing what makes you unique as a flaw. That is awesome.
0: I love that too because you know I see that so often that we try to dampen down what makes us really unique. Because oh, you know I have to do it this way because everybody does it that way. Well, who says? like if this is how you feel the most comfortable if this is how you're showing up as you're at your best then do it like that doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't make you flawed but it's really about using what makes you different as a way of standing out. And that's one of the things I'm a big believer in. Cause like for me, like one of my, like I'll talk, I always talk about like what makes you go on a rant. And for me, I'm a big ranter. I don't know if it's a skill of a maverick leader, but I know if something is like ticking me off and I can talk about it, the right people are going to be attracted to that message.
1: Kind of of like the uh, three massive ways to dot, dot, dot (laughs) from your podcast this past week.
0: (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, I – oh, gosh, I just hate formulas. Right. I just – I'm just so over it. It's – and you know what's really bad? Like just allow me to rant for a moment is (laughs) I really – feel bad for speakers who, when they get on stage, I immediately know what formula they're doing. Like, I'm like, oh, she's doing the Lisa Sasevich thing, or she's doing the Callan and Rush thing. Like, I, I, I mean, because that is not the way to stand out. And if I'm already thinking, oh, she's doing the Callan and Rush thing, guess what my brain's doing? I've heard this before, I'm not going to listen. And, and for me, I never want the speakers that I work with to go on stage and be like, oh, it's clear she worked with Michelle Mazer. Like, no, 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 no,
1: no. Yeah. You 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 know, you want them to get past all the inner F bombs and Fix the mindset stuff so that we can get to the point where we move into the second part of your book, which is coming up with your transformational talk.
0: Yeah. I now have morphed that into talking about it as your signature talk because I love the idea of, of signature because it's, um, because if you think about your signature, it's unique to you. And so that talk, even though you're transforming the audience, which I'm still a huge believer about you're doing it in a way that's unique to you. And I just love that.
1: Well, I mean, let's talk about that. How does someone decide or how do they get to the point where they understand or know what their signature talk will be? What are the things that they need to do to vet that out with themselves?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it goes back to uh, the rant thing. Because um, if you're looking for what your signature talk should be, I always say that there are two types of people in the world. There are the ranters and there are the ravers. And what makes you go on a rant can be a sign of where your signature talk is? And also like what makes you go on a rave? Like what is something that you just love, love, love to talk about? Like you totally geek out on and you could spend your whole life talking about it and never get sick of it because that's also a sign. And I believe it's, you know, so you have your rants and your raves, but then you also have to look at, hey, so this is what's making me rant and this is what's making me rave. Where's the value for the audience? Because where the audience results happen and they overlap with your rant or your rave, that's where your signature talk lives.
1: Yeah, I know I'm I know I'm on a rave when the people around me start to roll their eyes and go, "Oh, here he goes again."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "No, I'm just really excited about this thing."
2: <laughs>
1: So when you talk about adding value to the audience, how do you know? How do you know what the audience wants? How do you uncover or discover their pain points?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, this is where I put my research hat on. And I think a lot of it is, some of it is intuition, but some of it is getting into their head. And it means taking off your hat as an expert for a moment. And the first thing I always do is I like to ground my clients in, you know, who are these people? Like, how old are they? Did they grow up listening to Prince or did they grow up listening to Justin Bieber? (laughs) Like, big difference, right? Like, And just really understanding their psychographics and demographics. And then you can move in and start thinking about it at a very basic level. It's like, all right. So, On a day-to-day, what kind of challenges are they facing that's related to your message? And it's a little bit like doing ideal client work. It's kind of like your ideal audience. And if you've booked a speaking gig, what's amazing is that you have the resource, the person who booked you to help you discern some of this. But you can do research. You can listen. You can get on Twitter and see how people are talking about your topic. You can go on Facebook and see how they're talking about your topic. You can stalk, I mean that in a good way, Mm -hmm. like different people who are going to be in the audience and look at what they're saying and how they're communicating and where they might be getting stuck. And then coming up with like, okay, so this is really a crisp picture of like what my audience is saying and doing and feeling before about my topic beforehand. And then I always get into this what do they believe about your message? Because let's say you speak on social media. Now, there's going to be some people in your audience who think social media is a complete waste of time. And let's say that's your whole entire audience. Like, they want you to come in and persuade people that social media is really good for their their company and they should be doing more on social media. Well, you're going to frame that talk completely differently than if the people in the audience believe like, oh, I love social media. I just want to learn how to use it more effectively so really understanding like what do they believe about your message and how you can meet them there and then when when you know that that's how you can get to the transformation like it's like all right so based on what i know what is the first thing that needs to happen and that's the transformation that you provide
1: when you're going through your transformation or or signature talk Mm -hmm. how do you incorporate into it your big idea for the presentation
0: Oh, it's all over the place, but... (laughs) (laughs) So the big idea is a really, it it serves multiple purposes. So the big idea is what you want to be known for as a speaker. It helps position you in the marketplace so that you can better pitch yourself. But the big idea is also where you want your audience to end up with your presentation. It's what you want your audience to remember. And so you would probably... People can use their big idea sometimes in their talk title, in the introduction, and always it should come up during the conclusion because that's when the audience is going to remember most what you said, but it's a really a great way to get the audience repeating your message so that then they become your advocates. So if they meet someone in the hallway and they're like, "Hey, I missed Ryan's speech. What did he talk about?" they should say your big idea.
1: So when you're looking at putting together your speech and your, whether it's, you know, your signature talk, your transformational talk, the best way to get started is to turn on your laptop, open it up and pull up PowerPoint, right?
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. What do you mean? That's, that's how we do presentations, right? We, we just build it all in PowerPoint.
0: Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, totally. Just build it all in PowerPoint. <laughs> no, I think, I think the best way to start a presentation is, you know, when I work with clients, I do a whole whole session around presentation strategy, where we do the deep dive into the audience research, we figure out what their opportunity is in the presentation, and then we develop that big idea. Because that big idea informs what goes into your presentation and what doesn't go in your presentation. Hmm. Like It really helps you make sure you're not overwhelming your audience. So if you don't do that pre-work beforehand and you just sit down and you're like, all right, I'm going to start writing my intro right now, you're not going to know like what the audience should be getting out of this. It's like, I'm going to put on my expert hat and tell you what I think you need to know, whether or not you need to know it.
1: What is, what in your opinion, as you look, so we're, we're developing a strategy for the presentation that's going to incorporate our big idea.
2: Mm -hmm. What
1: is more important in your opinion, the organization of the presentation or the transitions between topics? Both. (laughs) (laughs) ding 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 c answer c i know
0: it's like i think both of them are really important because you have to make sure the audience is tracking with you every step of the way and especially with us innovation people like our brains just go from one idea to another and sometimes people can't keep up with us. And if you're a speaker who has primary or secondary innovation, that structure gives you a way to make sure your audience keeps tracking with you. So it's like you're not talking about one thing and then you change topics to another and the audience is like, how the heck did we get here? (laughs) That's where the transition points come in. But it's the structure that underlies a presentation make sure that the audience is following along with you and I feel like so many speakers that's where they struggle because they have all these great ideas but how do you give it structure
1: and form Uh, I'm hoping everybody's keeping up with us right now I (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I will I will say like so for example when I when I plan a podcast interview I try to organize it in a manner that takes people from point a to point b and I am listening, you know as you're speaking, I am listening for possible points of transition, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's not always easy to you know when you're ab- when, you're, when you're doing something live like this, it's not easy to predetermine what your transition is, but when you're getting ready to speak, I think it's really important to make sure that transition is great and because you have time to think about how you want it to go. Yes. Because otherwise you will lose people because they just won't be able to keep up.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like right before I chatted with you, I was working with one of my clients and he's like at the very beginning stages of writing his speech. We did the presentation strategy. This this session was all about his brain dump. But part of my brain immediately goes to, okay, at the end of that session, we want our three main points. But I'm also thinking like, does point A lead naturally to point B mm. to point C? Right. Because right? yeah. if it doesn't, if the flow doesn't make sense, you know, now is the time to start changing that and reorganizing it before you go through and you write this whole thing and realize, man, my points don't hang together. <laughs> and I have no idea how I'm going to get people from A to B to C.
1: Speaking of transitions, in part three of your book, you talk about storytelling. Mm -hmm. How important is it to incorporate storytelling into your signature talk with the big idea and then the organizational structure? I mean, A, how important is it? And B, how challenging can that be for some people?
0: (laughs) I think storytelling is an important component. And one of the things I would love, I feel like I need to go back and write a second edition of this book because as I've learned more and developed, like Storytelling is so important because that's how the audience connects with your experience. But you don't want to make the mistake of leaving the audience out of your story. Because mm-hmm. I see this with speakers where they feel like, okay, I'm going to tell my story so people connect with me. And they tell their story, but it has nothing to do with the speech. Yeah. And you sit there and you're like, why are you telling me? I feel like you're oversharing. Like, why are you telling me this? So I tell my clients that the <laughs> that the reports of how much people care about your story have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> they only Care about it to the point that it relates to them. So, going back to like that universal, like what's the moral to the story that you're telling? So, it is a very important part. And you have to make sure that you're keeping the audience connected and involved and in seeing themselves in your story. And I think that's where the challenge comes in because even though as human beings, we are storytellers. Some of us aren't great storytellers. We want to include every single detail or tell the story in, in chronological order. Like, oh, I got up this morning and I brushed my teeth and I fed our cats. And then I went to the, the refrigerator and realized we didn't have milk. So I couldn't find my keys to get into the car so I could get milk. <laughs> and then, you know, 20 minutes later, I found them. And then I walked outside and there was a huge crash. Well, guess what I care about? I care about the huge crash. Right. I don't care about the preamble that led up to the huge crash that you heard. I want to know about that. But I think there is that mistake of, oh, I'm going to include as much detail as possible and tell it in chronological order, not realizing that you can take liberties with your story to make it more compelling and engaging for the audience.
1: Which I think is where when you're working with your clients, my guess is you probably at that point walk them through the spark process.
0: Yes.
1: To help them set up that story so that it relates to your big idea and fits in with your signature talk.
0: Yes, yes. And so that they're, yeah, because I think the spark process is super helpful with really getting clear on where the story is going and what's necessary to move the story forward so that you're not including... Details that aren't moving the plot along, but you're still giving enough details where you're successfully setting the scene and people can see it in their head.
1: When you're when you're giving a presentation and you're telling whether you're telling the story part of it or you're giving, you know, more of a educational, inspirational speech, Mm -hmm. should you use the word we or you during presentations?
0: You. You always want to speak to one person. Because a speech is a conversation. And in a conversation, if I, you know, it's like a doctor, right? If they come in and they say, how are we doing this morning? I'd be like, well, I can tell you how I'm doing. I can't tell <laughs> you how you're doing.
1: You can take a guess. And it's
0: kind of <laughs> condescending. And also I feel like wees don't take action. There's a lot of like persuasion research that says if you say, you know, somebody call the police, nobody will call the police. But if you say you call the police, they'll take action. And it's the same thing with speaking. If you want to be persuasive, the audience has to feel like you're talking to them in a conversation. It's going to be far more engaging because, you know, a we is undefinable, but you is singular. It's one person.
1: What we're really talking about now is as you're speaking to one person is we've moved into kind of part four of your book, which is actually delivering the presentation. So I'm wondering, as as we get into this portion of the book where now we're going to get up on stage, we're going to take those two or three steps, we're going to get up on stage. Before then, (laughs) we need to probably prepare a little bit before we do take those three or four steps. So is it it a good idea for people just to memorize their speech? No.
0: (laughs) I am not an advocate of memorization. I really believe that speeches should be internalized. Like, you know the structure. So when I think of a speech, I always think of it in buckets, right? So the first bucket is my first main point, and it has the stories or the research that I'm going to use. It's going to have my audience action or takeaway. And I'll rehearse it as a bucket. And when I do that, I'm not as concerned with the precise wording because, oh, my gosh, precise wording can really trip people up. And, yes, you want certain turns of phrase because that makes your message pop and it makes it memorable, but at the same time, you don't want to sound like a robot, like, hello, I am reading this to you today. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> because when you're busy trying to remember instead of connecting, you're just so disconnected from the audience. So yeah, no memorization. Try to internalize it.
1: Okay. We're not going to memorize it. But how how can children's stories help us with our speaking?
0: Ooh, this is something that I use with my clients with delivery is that children's stories, for me when working on delivery, loosen people up. Like I was working with an executive once and I made him read like run, dog, run out loud in front of a room. And it was because he was like so stiff and conservative. And once he read the book and I made him do voices, it just loosened him up and he was able to be more of himself.
1: Yeah, I I loved this idea, this suggestion, because I think if you read a children's story, or even if you like read a few slides, if you will, from your presentation, as if it were a children's story, Mm -hmm. I think it helps you lighten up the mood in your own mind.
0: Oh my gosh, yes.
1: And it just kind of, I don't know, I did this recently and I thought it really helped me, uh, even though I looked ridiculous doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! I, but it is—it's really fun, and, and and present. You know, speaking should be more fun, and I think we just take it oh so seriously. But if you read "grain, eggs, and ham," all of a sudden. Mm-hmm it it become, you remember, it's like, oh yeah, like this is fun. Language has a rhythm. It has a beat. It can be really fun and engaging and just infusing that back into the seriousness of your speaking makes a huge difference.
1: We touched on this earlier, but how should you close out your presentation?
0: Oh, you should just like drop the mic and walk off the stage.
1: Boom, I'm out. <laughs>
0: So I I think one of the most important things that speakers can do is, you know, at the end of the presentation, you want to signal, hey, it's over. You know, you do somewhat of a wrap up short conclusions need to be super short. You don't go on for another 20 minutes because your audience will want to kill you if they think you're wrapping up and then you don't. And you give your audience the call to action, but you never want to leave the audience on your call to action. Or you never want to leave your audience with Q&A either. Like those two things, never leave an audience with. But instead, really ending with a tip, a final thought, your big idea that the audience then takes back out into the world. It's kind of like their battle cry that they go back out into the world with. So making sure that you end strong because science shows us that's what audience is going to remember most. Do you want them to remember you pitching them or you answering some wingnut question from the audience? No. You want to control that ending and give them something meaty to go back out in the world with.
1: We're going to start to wrap up here with something meaty as people are listening to this. And I would like for you to tell us a little bit about the Rebel Speaker Podcast.
0: Sure. So the Rebel Speaker Podcast is for entrepreneurs and speakers, and it is short. Every episode is, you know, 10 minutes or less. And what it does is it focuses on an Actionable tip that you can take back and use in your speaking right away. So I've talked about things like, you know, how to make money in speaking. What are your paths to revenue? Cause that's the other thing I think with entrepreneurs and speakers is they go like, I want to be a speaker and they have no plan for how they're going to get paid ever. <laughs> so it's like how do you want to get paid for that or you know we talk about like your unfair speaking advantage like how do you discover what makes you stand out and I did like a series of four podcasts all about how to uncover your positioning in the marketplace and where you can use that positioning to make you stand out and make it easier to book gigs so it's a great if I do say so myself, it's a great podcast
2: <laughs> and it's <laughs> I, super I, short.
1: <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I you know you have a good combination of rants and raves, <laughs> <laughs> and um you know it is it's bite sized chunks of information that you give, and it's uh, you know I, I really enjoy listening to it. Uh, and for those who don't yet, but soon will, when does it release?
0: Um, a new episode comes out every single Thursday.
1: Every Thursday. Oh, so you and I. So when they're done listening to this podcast or listening to your podcast, they can listen to mine or yours because we both come out on Thursday.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: How about that? Okay, last couple of questions. What is the Rebel Speaker Bootcamp?
0: Oh, the Rebel Speaker Bootcamp is my signature group program where it's a six-week experience where we write your signature talk that is aligned with a path to revenue and that positions you in the marketplace. Because I am one of those people that believes that if you want to be a successful speaker, you have to have your talk nailed down so that you can better market and sell it. Because that's what you do. Your speech is just another product in your business. So let's build that together because writing a speech is hard. And in six weeks, you can have a great one that you can go out and start booking.
1: And so who would you, I mean, obviously people who are aspiring to speak, but are there, is there a particular target audience that you're looking to to bring into this boot camp that would probably benefit more than others.
0: Um, I tend to work more with women in the boot camp than men. And I don't know if that's just because men prefer one-on-one work and women prefer more group settings. But it's typically one of two things, like speakers who are just starting out, like they've been speaking and now it's time to get serious about it. And I've also worked with speakers who are transitioning. So maybe they've been speaking for quite some time. They want to double their fees or like one of my clients recently, she was going from You know, speaking on other people's material, so training – into keynote speaking and that's quite a different jump because now you're speaking on your own stuff and how do you structure that and how do you do that so those are the two best types so like people who want to be speakers and now are getting serious or they're transitioning into like doubling their fees or to keynote speaking or you know they just need a new signature talk because everyone's heard their old <laughs> one <laughs> So
1: well Michelle I know personally I could talk to you for another six weeks on this topic, but unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. So for those who are listening and interested and uh, would like to learn more about you or the Rebel Speaker Bootcamp, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you?
0: Yes, the best ways um, you can come to my website and that's drmichellemazer.com. And I do have that great free gift of your unfair speaking advantage that everyone can get and start figuring out how how what makes them stand out. And if you want to find out about the boot camp, you can go to drmichellemazer.com forward slash boot camp. And the next round is starting pretty soon, like about a month away.
1: Awesome. Any final thoughts, tips, words of wisdom you want to pass on to any, any potential budding speakers who are listening today?
0: I think I'm going to give the final words that I always say on my podcast, which is your most rebellious act is becoming more of who you are.
1: I love that. Michelle, thank you very much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And I know everybody listening today is going to be able to take something away that is going to make them just a little bit better at speaking.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Public speaking. Is it your worst nightmare? Do you get nervous just thinking about it? I did for the longest time, and I still do, actually, to be honest. But like anything else, the more you do, the less stressful it is. And the more you practice, not memorize, the easier it becomes. As an expert in your field, you will be called upon at some point to give a speech or a presentation. It's going to happen. And frankly, you want it to happen. You see, public speaking is a key tenet in the Engage step for the DICE process. So rather than be afraid of it, embrace it, which I know is easier said than done. Remember, public speaking is one of the best ways for you to get your message out and to market your expertise. So before you hit this stage next or step into the conference room for your next big presentation, remember the audience is on your side. They are your fans. And if you're worried about some personal flaw that you may think you have, remember that what you're really viewing is something that makes you unique. It makes you different. And it makes you memorable. Thank you, Michelle, for your time with us today and for your advice and suggestions to help us become better speakers. And thank you, too, for reminding us that it's okay to be different because different is better than better. You can find the show notes and the links to everything we talked about today over on the blog at ryanroton.com forward slash Michelle mazer. Thank you for listening in today. And don't forget to tune out your personal negative Nelly so that you too can become a rebel speaker until next week. I've been Ryan and I'm out. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten. The transition music is by SJC music and the intro and outro music as always is pulsed by Soundrove.